Welcome to When Grateful Hearts Speak, a podcast about gratitude and empowerment, demystifying the myths of yoga, while connecting our community in conversations without condemnation. with episode number 15 and today I am asking some questions about my Aunt Faye Shaw. Uh, Robin and I are so excited to dive into some of my lineage and hear some history and we'll ask some questions about Aunt Faye's life and the church and her faith and growing up in this area and her young 92 years of life. <laughs> so we are super excited to get started. Tell us about how you grew up, where you grew up, and how times were when you were growing up, Aunt Faye. The first house I remember living in was a small rented house belonging to Lash Brown and his wife. It had an outhouse, no running water, and cracks in the floor big enough one could see the chickens walking around under the house. That was about in 1933 through 1938. Um, water had to be brought up from the hill, uh, up the hill from a spring. That was a big job on wash day. When my mother would fill the, the big black pot in the backyard and boil the clothes in, hmm. then she had to fill two more tubs full of water to rinse the clothes. Then they were hung on a line, and uh, we didn't have any any other way to dry them, just hanging on the line outside. Let me tell you about a mishap that occurred to one of those clothes. My oldest sister, Gracie Lee, who was in high school then, had a very pretty candy-striped dress. I thought it was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. While it dried on the line, an old goat decided he liked it too. <laughs> he chewed the whole bottom of, of that dress. I think Gracie and I both cried over that. Aww. We didn't own any goats, so we never did know from where it came. <laughs> the, the names of my other siblings who were crowded into that small house were Cecil, Calvin, Gina, Dan, then me, and I think my brothers Ray and Leonard were born in that house also. Ray in 1934 and Leonard in 1937. The youngest child of my parents, Bertie May and Charles Ebenezer Barnes, was Winnie LaVelda Barnes. She was born in 1941 and the only one having been born in a hospital. And as Papa said, Bertie, this is the prettiest one yet. <laughs> I guess they had perfected the pattern after then. <laughs> perfected the pattern. Let me ask you real quick, Aunt Faye. So there was you, Jenna Bertie, and Gracie. That was the girls? Not Bertie. Not, oh, Bertie's Bertie the, was the mother. I'm sorry. You, Jenna Gracie. Gracie. Gracie was the first one. Gracie Lee. Okay. Yeah. And then the rest were boys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just want to make sure I got that straight. Okay. <laughs> Another happening in that small house leads me to your second question. 
when did you first feel God's love, the Holy Spirit, and know that you were, and I said are, a spiritual being? The winter of my fifth year, I had double pneumonia. That's when both lungs are infected and it's almost impossible to breathe. I was dying. Mm -hmm. My parents got the elders of the church to come and administer to me. That was no easy task as the doctors lived several miles away in Jay and he was the only person around who had a car. So the elders had to hitch up their wagons or their horses to come to our house. Where was your house at, Aunt Faye? I'm sorry. It was out from Jay in the in the woods. Okay, past Jay. Out, out <clears throat> not past Jay. It was really between um, uh, Berrydale and Jay in okay. the woods. Okay. okay. So it was a trek for them <coughs> for them to get there to administer to you. It was a a little bit of a trek. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> the doctor was called. Was. Uh, contacted, I'm sure somebody had to ride a horse or, horse or hitch up a wagon to go get him, but he came right away. When he examined me, he told my parents I couldn't live through the night. Um. One of Mama's friends stayed the night because she wanted to support my parents. Her name was Ruby Brown, no kin to Lash Brown. She lived next to our church, which was about two miles from our house. When the doctor came back the next morning, he approached our gate very slowly, thinking he would find me dead. Papa stepped out on the porch and said, come on in, doctor, she's well. He, the doctor shook his head and said, she can't be. Papa said, come and see. I was sitting up in bed and eating. The doctor kept shaking his head and saying, it wasn't my medicine which at that time was only suffer drugs. The doctor uh, took, his, took Mrs. Brown when he went home. He went by her house to take her home. And then he, he pulled into the church yard next door and sat there for several minutes. He had seen a miracle and didn't quite know how to, how to process it. From that time on, my mother made me made sure I understood that God had saved me for a reason. I had to find out what that reason was and live for him. When I got strong enough to go outside and play again, it was the most beautiful spring I had ever seen. The leaves were just turning green, and I thought it was a wonderful world, and I've continued to believe that ever since then, and it's been 87 years. And I've thanked God every day for giving me life a second time, and, and I am trying my best to live for God and serve others. My faith in God has never wavered, as you had questioned me about that. You want to repeat that question for me? <clears throat> was that the third question? Uh, Let me see. No. I, I, it was, has your faith wavered? And if so, how or why and how did it return to stronger? But that incident seemed to change your life to where you, you knew your faith was 
deep inside you at that point. From a young age, it sounds yeah. like. Okay. Uh, you asked how long I've been a member? Yes, the next one was, how long have you been a part of our church, the Community of Christ? Okay. And how would you describe our church to other people? Maybe just give us a little history lesson on the well, church. Or what did you say there? I, I, am a, I have been a member of the RLDS all my life. I love to go to church. <clears throat> I wanted to be baptized at reunion because we didn't have a local church at that time. And it, we went to Bruton Burnt Corn Creek Campgrounds for our reunion in those days. That was about in 1940 through in the early 1950s. So I couldn't wait to be baptized, but I had to. After I turned <clears throat> eight and could be baptized, it was a whole year before the next reunion. I turned nine on July 21st before the big day came, and I was bowed in burnt and I was baptized in Burnt Corn Creek on my birthday. I remember being so happy. And, you know. mm -hmm. Oh yes. So, as far as I can remember, women have always been a part of the priesthood. Um, in our church and when did that start for the community of Christ and and when did our church you said there wasn't a local branch when did our church have a local branch for the first time our church had a local branch in Crestview mm -hmm. in 1952 1952 uh -huh. but it, it um, in April 1984 um, I remember thinking that women could be ordained in the priesthood after that time and I remember thinking that for other women, that was okay. But I was happy just where I was teaching Sunday school, which I did for many years. Um, the section 156 in the Doctrine and Covenants is the one that gives women the right to become members of the priesthood. Um, Gracie, um, tell us what the R LDS is. So, reorganized Latter-day Saints. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of how the church, for people that are listening that don't know what RLDS is, can you tell them about that? Yeah, it's the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it was called that because <clears throat> after Joseph Smith was shot with, along with his brother in the jail at Carthage, Illinois, um, Brigham Young took a group and went out west, and um, he used the name um, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. So for several years, um, the people, uh, Joseph's family, his wife and his mother and father still lived in, in uh, Nauvoo. And, um, so they did. They had just remained true to the the church. They didn't join any other organization, and finally, the people worked at getting several people went in different directions to set up congregations. Mm -hmm. um, um, I could name several of them, like James J. Strang and Sidney Rigdon, um, went to different places, but. The people kept wanting to get back together 
and they knew that Joseph Smith had said his son would be the heir. And uh, so when his son, when his father died, um, Joseph Smith III was only 11 years old. Mm. So he couldn't be a leader of the church at 11 years. So he went on with his life and, uh, and became a doctor of, um, I think, now I'm not sure about this, but um, he, anyway, he, he became well educated, mm -hmm. let's put it that way. Mm. I'll have to go back and review that part. Um, but um, he and he just, at first when some men came to him to try to get him to, after he was grown, to be the leader of the church, he resisted for a few years and was just not sure. Mm -hmm. I think he, he said to himself, I've got to know for sure in my own heart mm -hmm. what I'm supposed to do. So um, in, 19, in yeah, 1960, um, he decided that he would take the, uh, the invitation of the group that wanted him to be the leader of the church and they named it the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because they had to separate it from the Mormons who had been out west with that name. Okay. Oh. I love that because we don't have a lot of history lessons. Mom said that, that growing up they had a lot of history talked about, yeah. you know, during Sunday school or whatever, and, and uh, a lot of that I just missed out on. I think I just stay busy and don't do the research myself, but it helps us to know how the church got started, you know, where where it branched away from the Mormon church and kind of just mm -hmm. some of the differences about our church, you know, um, and women in the priesthood I know is a big difference from yeah. the Mormon church and from a lot of churches. That was very progressive because I grew up going to the Baptist church most of my younger life, well, all of my younger life, but then I went to I was just seeking, you know, things and went visited a lot of different types of religions and ended up going to Church Christ for many years and um, and then kind of have gone the the non denominational way um, for um, the rest after that. But I have rarely been a part of a a religious group that actually allowed and promoted. Now always as led women's groups and things like that but as far as to do like what I know that you have done as far as actually teaching from the pulpit and being in the priesthood I, that's that is very impressive and very um, I think it'll be it was surprising to me um, when when I met Gracie and had visited church you know with with her and I just think that it's very admirable that <clears throat> the progressiveness that you were a part of mm -hmm. uh, and as a female I appreciate that because it all helps you know it's like a it's, it's like you put that out into the world and it helps everybody to become mm -hmm. forward thinking forward thinking mm -hmm. yeah thank you and how did and Kirk has admit, admired it too he <clears throat> always says when he comes to church there's so many um, I don't forget the word talented or passionate strong women in mm -hmm. our church yeah. And he loves to admire that. That's the word that I was thinking, yeah. strong. I yeah. just see a lot of strength. Uh -huh. um, and there. so when did you know, Aunt Faye, that you were ready to be in the priesthood? You said you were happy teaching priest, uh, Sunday school for a long time, but when, when did you feel that calling to be in the priesthood? 
Well, <clears throat> it was gradual and uh, sometimes kicking and screaming no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I kept thinking, well, if I was ordained, I would be sure that I talked about this or talked about that. Well, finally one day at school, Thomas, Tom Buscavage came in to talk to me and he said, he told me, I mean, he was not sure of it, of it at all himself. He said, how would you feel if you were called to the priesthood? And I said, I don't think I'm, I'm ready for that. He said, well, you have a call and it's, and it's to elder. And I said, what? <laughs> and that's usually how it happens in our church. At least someone else it gets the yeah. message and they yeah. give it to you that it's, right. it's your time to step up. And usually, well, always, it's the pastor who, who lets the person know that they have a call. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Tom was pastor at that time and Tom was the pastor and uh, I could see that he, he wondered if he had done the right thing <laughs> and, I, and finally he said well you think about it and I said you mean I'm not going to be priest first and then elder he said no your call is to be an elder okay wow <laughs> So, Aunt Faye, tell me a little bit more about my grandfather and how his preaching style, which is your brother, Dan Barnes. I was, I was gone, or he was gone before I was able to remember him preaching at all. Um, Dan was just such a good minister. He would, he, um, would tell life stories. He always, just about always, Create a poem to go with his sermons. And I have, and I'm sure you've seen the whole little booklet of Dan's poems mm -hmm. that he wrote. Um, the one story about one of his poems, I don't know whether you know it or not. The, is it the Footprints one or? Where? Uh, um, the one that was published and doesn't have his name on it? Yeah. Yeah. When um, he found out that that had been published, um, and he said, well, uh, Ernestine and I, I got very upset about it. <laughs> and, and I had the paper in the folder. Dan had given me a copy of the poem. And uh, I had the paper in my, my folder at home. And uh, one day, I picked up a book by David Jeremiah, and he had that poem in his book with just a word or two changed. Oh. Mm -hmm. And by a woman that I didn't even know. Wow. Well, Ernestine and I sent that original paper to David Jeremiah, and she and I both put a, a, a writing on it you know, extra writing in there that says, you know, who we were. She was the, the uh, wife. wife and I was the sister. And we both remember him writing that poem. And when it did, what he had done was 
give it to a friend when he was in service, and that friend had it printed in uh, the uh, uh, military poem, uh, paper, and that's how it got in the public sector. Right. This woman had put her name on his poem <clears throat> and changed just an item or two in oh, it, a word or two. Yeah. So when we found out she had done that, well, all we all we could all Dr. Jeremiah could do was apologize to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he wrote back and apologized and said, you know, he couldn't change it from the book it was printed in. Yeah. Right. But he would never take anything else from her as uh, as oh, having you know her name on it. Right. Well, I'm sure Papa wouldn't have wanted to pursue anything anyway. He probably and that's wouldn't what he care said. about the credit. He said, it, without my name on it, it will go further <laughs> oh, wow. and do more good. So that was his attitude. And yeah. his footprints, is that? Um, I'll, po I'll post poem? a copy okay. of that poem in the show notes. Um, and it is, you'll see it like on is everywhere. Is that the one that we kind of know? The, the, um, do you, can, you, can you paraphrase a little bit? about? Is it the footprints in the sand one where he was being carried? Or is that another one I'm thinking of? We'll, we'll post it in the show notes okay. so everybody can read it yeah. and okay. know yeah. that it was him. But I just love to hear stories about him, you know, and, and stuff that well, I didn't know. And, and I, when he became pastor, we really didn't have another person qualified to do it but my father, and he was older. So Dan took the, the, um, the um, job, I guess you'd call it, as pastor on himself. And he, he did that for 24 years. Wow. And uh, I think he had one break in between where Ernest Martin took the job for a um, couple of years. So we feel like the church in Crestview owes him a great debt. Wow. Because of his... So he was pastor for consecutive 24 years in Crestview? Without, with a two-year break somewhere two break. in there. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Because now, well, all I've known is it kind of just switches around. About every two years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, he must have been good at what he did then for everybody was, to keep He was very him. good at what he did. And uh, he also wrote um, uh, several poems or articles to Terry <clears throat> and if you don't have that ask your mom about it okay his writings for Terry okay I definitely will and that will help you learn more about it cool there's been a strong lineage of oh, yeah. people expressing themselves yeah in the and, and my grandmother yeah. um, his wife Ernestine Barnes she was wrote poetry all the time and that's one of the main things I remember about being young when we first got our computer is she would write something like this in her handwriting and then she'd make me sit with her so she could read it to me and go over all the words and then I would type it up on the computer so that somebody else could read it in the church service. Yeah. She didn't want to read what she wrote but she would write it. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. But um, So uh, is there any other major differences about our church that you want to talk about that maybe you feel passionate about supporting or that's things that have changed over time with our church? I think we have um, well, let me let me uh, let me answer that later. Okay. I okay. Have, Go ahead. What you got next? Uh, I have <coughs> some changes. I've seen changes come and go. Okay. To quote, uh, I think it's question five. 
Yes, you've seen many changes over the span of your lifetime, even trends that come and go around again. Okay. I've seen changes come and go. I've questioned the wisdom of some of our changes in policy, but over the years, I have never had enough trouble with it to want to leave the church. I believe we have more light and truth then that can be found any than can be found anywhere else, which we need to be faithfully sharing. And question number what what am I passionate what am I passionate about and mm-hmm. worth of, I am passionate about the worth of all persons. I want each one to know in their hearts that God loves them with a love so deep it cannot be expressed in words. When, I, when people know that deep in their hearts, nothing is going to be overwhelming to them. God has this. He is in control. And aren't we more than blessed? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was our sermon for today. <laughs> what was your next question you had down? Six. She did homework, you guys. She wrote down every question I was going to ask her and has it written out. So number six was have your expectations or vision for your life measured up to the life, the path your life has taken. So, For the most part, I think it has. I said earlier, my faith has never wavered. It has never wavered in God. Of course, some people have disappointed me. I've been disappointed in myself also. I decided to accept the philosophy of a principle I heard back in the early 60s. He was discussing the challenges facing the teachers and students in his very poor school for blacks in Pensacola. He said, I have to remember everybody is doing the best they can at the moment. I remember thinking, no way. I know people who aren't doing blah, 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 but the more I thought about it, the more I realized I really don't know what anyone at any time is having to deal with, what hurts or stresses they may be hiding. Keeping that thought in mind helped me become a more caring, understanding teacher and a less judgmental person toward others. People need to be accepted and loved just as they are just like all of us, if students feel the teacher accepts them and loves them and cares about what they think, they perform better. What hopes do you have for the future of Crestview and humanity as a whole? First, more people, I want more people to willingly volunteer to do the jobs involved for being for running the church. Next, I would love to see all Sunday school classes fully operating with teachers who know the church's principles and the heritage of it, and will also love to teach. Our Book of Mormon is an extra witness that Jesus is the Messiah. We don't have to be like other churches. We need to honor our uniqueness. Another thing I wish that all my, with all my heart is that every person would obey the word of wisdom, section 86 in Doctrine and Covenants. 
It warns us against using alcohol and tobacco. Every person knows someone who has lost a loved one to those two substances. And then what, are there any practices or traditions or routines that have helped you maintain a life of consistency or one of balance in all aspects of your life? I guess if I have had balance in my life, it is due to trying to eat very little meat, use fresh veggies and fruit and nuts, continue an exercise program, and I view the world with a positive manner and trust God for the outcome. That's beautiful. That is really beautiful. We've been really diving in. Kirk and I especially have been watching that new show on Netflix that is about the, the centenarians that are coming from the different blue zones around the world and the things that they do that are similar. And it sounds like the way that you live your life because you are involved in community when you come to church and when you call people and you talk to people and you are eating clean foods, you know, vegetables and and you're trying to, I mean, you walked in from the car to in here, so you do get exercise, you're walking around, um, and these are all parts of just living this happy lifestyle, and, and you have a purpose. That's a, a, a main part of, of what they had in common, is like, what is your purpose? And just sitting here and talking with you today, I know that it's to share the love of God. And I've tried this whole episode not to cry. <laughs> Here I go at the very end. I just feel so blessed. I'm so thankful to be a part of the family that I've been born into. And I want you to know that. You know, I was telling someone the other day that that's our first blessing. Or maybe it was my sister. We could not have had a better mother and father they would do anything they could to help us grow up in a loving way, to know that we were loved. And I wish every person on the earth could feel that, that they could grow up knowing they're loved. Mm -hmm. if, they, if that happened, then we wouldn't have wars. Yeah, yeah. and, and well, people would live longer. Agree. They yeah. would live longer, happier happy, lives. Happier lives. Yeah. And you know, one of the kind of the underlying things that, that have just kind of organically happened as we've been interviewing people with the podcast has been lead with love. You know, every I think everybody that we have interviewed has had a true, sincere love of people and um, without judgment. And that does make all the difference, doesn't it? Does. It? it makes all the difference. And I found out several years ago that there was one way that I could show love to children that I didn't even know, mm -hmm. and that was doing the shoeboxes every year for mm -hmm. Samaritan's Purse. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine that sometimes some of the people at church, when I mention the shoeboxes, say, <laughs> oh, says, oh, here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it helps you do. feel purposeful to yeah. help some child mm -hmm. feel loved at Christmas time. Yes, and uh, it takes so little effort on my part mm -hmm. because I have a lot of people who help. Yeah, right. And uh, if I can do that one program at my age, I can't speak much anymore. I can't 
do a lot of the cleaning up or vacuuming and all the other things at church that I used to do. So this is one thing that I can still do, mm -hmm. and uh, that will be coming up soon. So I will go ahead and, and head it up another year. I've told the, the lady that gets the boxes for me, I don't know, I'll do this one more year. <laughs> I've done that for three years. <laughs> well, and, and don't let her fool you. I've, I've, been, I've observed her do more than just that. Uh -huh. She's, I know, she's been a part of the helped, soup kitchen before, too. Helped with the soup you? kitchen. You've helped with that. And I think that's where uh, Robin that's first, where met, first you. met you. Mm -hmm. at, at the soup kitchen is where Robin first met you. So she's oh, saying, really? yeah. she's calling yeah. your bluff and she knows yeah, that you, you do you've more. Yeah, you've done than more. That. You, and, and you did recently speak. I listened to your lesson. You yeah. spoke at church not too long ago and mm -hmm. you told a beautiful story um, about a nun. About what? A nun that you, about her. Oh, yes. Uh -huh. uh, about her. Could you just kind of tell that story? Okay. Well, this is because I realized, I, I realized a flaw in myself because she made it apparent, apparent to me. We were on a, a bus trip with Teachers of the Year, and uh, I happened to be sitting by this, this young, this nun. She was a sweetheart of a person. And uh, our, our bus slowed down to make a turn to the left. And on the corner on the right were several young men sharing bottles, beer in their hands. And one so, so drunk, he, he was falling down. And I looked and said, how disgusting. The nun looked and said, Oh, the poor dears. Oh. And that woke me up. I said, from that time on, I'm going to see people in a different light. Mm. I'm going to see how, how can I do something to maybe help them mm -hmm. become a better person. And a few years ago, I was at the um, thrifty store on the south of Crestview, and a young man just came out just falling down, you know, just so drunk. Instead of uh, ignoring him, when he got up, I went over and grabbed his arm and talked to him and said, I'm sorry that you're having this problem with drinking. I hope that you quit someday and you will find a better way of living and make right choices. Instead of, I don't know whether he even knew what I said when he <clears> got <throat> over all this of that. But anyway, I was able to treat him with dignity. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, I have aimed to do in my life, yeah. is to treat everybody with dignity and love them anyway. And even when it's hard for us, because and even, when it, even when it's hard, and it's maybe scary. Yeah, too. It yeah. would've been easier for me to just walk around him, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not look in his direction. Yeah, and I think once you like have um, an experience like you did with the nun, and you like you learn, you saw a different way, yeah. a better way. And I feel like that was God led. You know, you were. I do too. You know, you I do were. Too. You were in the right place, and you were 
open enough to your own personal flaws that you were able to learn a lesson to do better and you did do better right and I just think that is just a wonderful lesson that we all need to carry with us you know to be open to when we do get these messages to to treat people with love and respect and I know just you know, Gracie, she's known you your, your whole life. I've, I've been around you maybe three or four times, and you always treat me with such kindness. And I think that is, um, your, you know, that's your true character. Um, the love that you've experienced, you share it with other people. And that's my, my joy to do so. Yeah. And see, I find joy in it. <clears throat> that's the way God made us. Mm-hmm. He made us have joy that's my favorite scripture is that yeah. man is so that he can have joy yeah. however I paraphrase yeah. that well and you know that's what we're not supposed to be doom and gloom and Suffering. you know and, and that the world is a terrible place yeah the world there's always well what is it in in uh, is it in proverb that it says there's nothing new under the sun you know there's always been people that make better choices than other people as long as there's been yeah. humans and but that's not we're not to condemn there is no condemnation in Christ there is no fear it's it's all about love God is love and that's just you just have made an impact on this world because of just letting that love flow from from you yeah i think that's one thing i love truly about our church is that and i've gone to other churches as well like robin mentioned earlier we've you know we've dabbled in different places Mm -hmm. and um i I truly feel the love of christ every time no matter who's speaking or sharing um and and i i don't love the fear-based sermons you know, I, my, my God is a loving Father, and, and He helps me to make good choices because He loves me, not because, you know, I, I don't have to be That you've done made all the right choices yeah. and you've done all Nobody's the right things. better or, than anybody else. And, or and been afraid right. to experience, you know, a joyful life. Right, um, yeah. Some people I, I shouldn't think, feel guilty for yeah, being happy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I, I love that our church also produces all types of people and I, I think most of our several of our community our church members are teachers or ex-teachers mm-hmm. we have a lot of teachers mm-hmm. in our community of Christ and um, people that are still just sharing the love however they can like Anne with the the homeless shelter and and you know everybody has something that they're really good at doing and sharing with everybody else and I just feel that every time that we're there um, but I wanted to talk, uh, you mentioned earlier about the reunions in Bruton and how excited you were as a kid to go there. And that's one thing that I am so thankful for is our church's campgrounds mm-hmm. and the love of God that is there and how strongly I feel it every time. And I think I've, I may have shared it in a testimony on a prior episode of my feeling the love of Christ there at the camp. And how we had the uh, the Bluff Springs camp for special kids and meaningful people, 
when I was growing up, I was able to be a part of that and really, you know, be around kids that were different than me. And, you know, most were in wheelchairs, um, some weren't, but little things that we could do as teenagers to be exposed to, you know, different things that, that you know, that people, some kids were nonverbal and couldn't feed themselves. And, and the teenagers would take on the responsibility of being like the parent role, the mm-hmm. caregiver role at a young age, you mm-hmm. know, and it was such a blessing for me um, to not be the person that turns away, you know, when they see something that's mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. And I think Kirk was not raised that way, and he won't mind that I'm talking about him. I don't even know if he'll listen, but um, we had an experience similar to yours with the nun on the bus whenever we were newly married, and I think we were pregnant with Travis, and we had had some scares during the pregnancy of, you know, that they wanted to say he was high risk or something. And I don't know if Kirk's perception was right or wrong or whatever, but his point of experience up to that time mm-hmm. in his what life mm-hmm. had had been, you know, special needs is taboo thing. You know, he was the one that would look the other way. And I was very much involved with, you know, the campgrounds and stuff. And we were at the beach one time sitting down. I think Jake and Michaela were young and we were watching them play and there was a couple who was leading their child who may have had some sort of spina bifida but he was on some crutches and he was getting down to the water so they were instead of taking the the walking sticks they just used their hands to help him get down to the water and in that moment I looked at him and I said what amazing parents and he had a conviction in his heart and he's he was thinking what poor parents Uh and little did we know that we would later have a daughter with special needs you Mm -hmm. know so that was a moment that God was able to shine on him and say look at this opportunity to change your perspective Mm -hmm. you know that the love that those parents had for their child was meant more than anything you know any of the hard stuff that they had to endure didn't matter because they got to see that moment of joy on their child's face when he got down to the water's edge, you know. So that's beautiful. That's um, beautiful. I did have one other question that I, Gracie and I were talking on Monday, and this question just came to my mind, and I said I really want to ask your aunt Faye about this, and that is, do you? And I, I kind of know the answer to this a little bit, just knowing you'll, just um, through Gracie, but are you still learning new things? And are you learning new things about yourself? I think I am every day, just mm-hmm. though. And it's not always good. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Elaborate on that a little bit, Aunt Faye. What do you still learn about yourself? Oh, I still have to fight being judgmental, you know? I think, oh my goodness. Do they have to do it that way, or do they have to, can't they do a better job of doing mm-hmm. that? Or, I just have to, to realize that, like I said earlier, everybody's doing the best they can mm-hmm. at the moment. Mm-hmm. I have to remind myself of that quite often. Yeah. And like you also said earlier, you never know what somebody's yeah. dealing with mm-hmm. in right. their own personal exactly. life. Exactly. Yeah. We don't know the reason that that man was drunk in the middle of the daytime and couldn't stand up yeah, straight. Yeah, there, there's usually a reason. You know, that's what we've talked about, like kind of putting the label of good and bad on things that really are not good or bad. It's not that clear cut. Yeah. It's like there's been a story 
in that person's life that has brought them to the place. And, you know, we, I, you, you know, any, any given person might be that one person. That's right. That reaches out to that person struggling and makes a difference. And I pray every day that I can see people through God's eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, he made them. He made mm-hmm. us. He loves yes. us. And he loves that person that's, that is made wrong choices. Yeah. Just and if as you're much as he loves me. If you're professing a belief in a higher power, a belief in God, uh-huh. then if you aren't truly loving people, then it might be time to stop and take a look at yourself because that's, that's right. he did create right. every person. Right. So if you believe that, then live it. Yeah. And it's obvious that you have. And even though, you know, it's our, I guess it's in our nature to, we have to fight that judgment. voice, <laughs> that judgmental voice that's in our head, you know, and where did that come from and why. But right. yeah. So that's that. Talk to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yep. You have to. You and have talk to God even more. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's one thing that um, Robin and I we're, we're getting ready to. We're preparing for um, a podcast that's going to highlight the differences between religion and spirituality and and kind of debunk some of these myths about yoga. And you know, I'm very thankful that our church has been so supportive of me and my path and. And teaching yoga and learning all that I can to help people come into this space and and find their own sense of God or their higher power or you know maybe just find their breath or their worth or their worth yeah. absolutely and help and I'm praying for them whether they know it or not that they feel loved and they feel and they love themselves enough to and I know that they do because they come you know they're working on themselves yeah. and I know that's the first step is to you know know that have the awareness around wanting to be better or wanting to devote time to yourself so that you can have time for everybody else in your life Mm -hmm. and I didn't find that time until my kids were old enough to all be in school but that's when I started practicing yoga and was able to you know eventually open the studio Um, but I wanted to say you know how many times does the the Bible say to be still and know or to meditate and it's amazing how many times that he, that God said, so they will know that I am God. Mm-hmm. Just put that in Google and see how mm-hmm. many times it says, they will know that I am God. Mm-hmm. That was one of his purposes, mm-hmm. that people would know him and know he is their God. Mm-hmm. And I hope you all called that, that she said Google. <laughs> Google it. Hey, I was going to mention that. You're on Facebook still, and I know you texted me earlier and said that you don't get on it every day. I wish I didn't get on it every day, but sometimes I have to for business purposes. Oh, yeah. But yeah. I am amazed that you do all that you do. I mean, you drove from your house to the church. You get on Facebook. You communicate. You text. You call me. That's more than my mama does, and she's not even... You know, she's in her 60s. So, <laughs> what how what do you credit for that? Has it been easy to learn all of this new technology, or do you still ask for help sometimes when you need it? Oh, I ask for help. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And with my hearing going bad, I miss a lot. So, you, you know, you might have said to me the time, to, but I missed it. Okay. And uh, so, 
but you're you're doing things you're learning robin asks are you still learning uh, you are because the times and uh, things are changing and evolving and it seems like you're keeping up better than a lot i'm trying but i am so ignorant about a lot of it yet yeah. and i know i am so i ask for help yeah well you know as, as you just started talking today and you started talking about not having the water and I, I could remember you know my dad talking you know the house that he grew up in sounded very similar to yours where it was just they called them lean tubes I don't know if you've heard that phrase before but growing up in South Carolina that's what it was it was just like boards leaning together and that was your house you know and you didn't really have a floor um, if, if you did it was rough and you could see it was up on blocks and you could see the chickens walking around and everything so when you think about how far and what you've seen in your life it's just amazing and and just think if you had stayed in that mindset of well you know well I didn't have running water when I was a kid and look at me I'm fine you know if you didn't ever say oh plumbing inside plumbing is a good thing <laughs> you know so you could take it back and be like almost that's an exaggeration and it's kind of ridiculous to think about that that you would not if you had the opportunity to have running water in your house that you wouldn't accept that and take advantage of it but that's kind of the same way with not accepting some of the benefits that we do have because of all the technology and it's it's just a gr another great example of being open-minded being forward-thinking yeah. because you could still be living in a a little rough house with no water if you weren't open-minded to new things you know okay. so but on that note is there anything that you miss from that time or yeah. your childhood or that you wish kind of was similar what is there anything that's changed that you wish would go back to the older ways I would love to see people helping each other with their home tasks just like um um, when they're canning, mm -hmm. if and when they're doing quilting, people used to have get together. To mm -hmm. women would help each other do the quilting. Yeah, I remember that. And they would help each other do the canning, mm -hmm. and that's one thing my mother enjoyed tremendously. Mm -hmm. When we moved to Escambi Farms, they had a a co-op, which is a store that. Um, they sell everything that the person and the, on the farm would need, mm -hmm. like um, the seed, the fertilizer, the overalls, the mm -hmm. uh, uh, Rogan shoes, mm -hmm. um, and they would sell groceries. And they would take eggs that the people grew, you know, their chickens, mm -hmm. grew the chickens and would bring the eggs into the co-op and they'd sell the eggs to the co-op, then everybody else could have access to them. Mm -hmm. And um, um, the, one of my favorite memories is just sitting under the, the uh, quilt that my mother and her friends were making and hear them talk. Mm -hmm. I was a curious child, so I'd, I like to hear them talk. <laughs> That's one of my favorite memories of, of my grandmother is her, of my dad's mom, showing me how to make little squares. You know, she was helping me with my future baby blanket, which, so 
Sadly, we never got to finish together, but she was going to make sure that she at least got it started. Yeah. And that's something that you still do, is I heard you were making baby blankets recently. Honey, I have got two, two big, um, completely full-size, queen-size quilt tops and three baby quilts waiting to be uh, quilted in the, at, at my quilter in Milton. Okay. Um, and I, she's been gone for two weeks, so I don't know when I'm going to get those back. And that's something but, you missed that we, we, we could have, you know, a community of women that still do that. And I think together. there are still some, I mean, I've seen, you know, Different around that, that people yeah. around town get together and do that. And my grandmother always had a, she had, you know, when it, she would set up the, the big quilting, um, loom or the loom, yeah. yeah, and in you know one of her front rooms, and that was, and I have a very similar memory of being in there while everybody was working on on that, um, you yeah. know, and she quilt, and I still have some of her quilts, and it's that, I, I their treasure. She she died um, like thirty eight years ago, wow. and um, so and I. I let me see if Treasure. I can find a picture of the quilt. Uh, that's one thing I'm thankful that mom still can stuff. His dad, you know, my dad's retired. He, he does still garden a lot. And we, we do, they live in Escambia Farms. And uh, I get to see her. I don't do it as much myself, but I get to see her and him, you know, work together with, you know, putting up creamed corn or you know green beans and stuff like that so I think that is a lost commodity sometimes with people just don't do it as much as they used to with their own gardening and yeah, canning. And, uh, and mom loved having the, the women go to each other's house when they were canning mm -hmm. and help each other can and I'd love to see that come around again. Mm -hmm. Yeah I think some of it slowly is. Yeah. I think that we're coming around to mm -hmm. you know want to make our own food and um, people are realizing how much additives and things that are just put into the food to sit on the shelf for a long time mm -hmm. and they're not they're not loving that yeah, and how it affects their bodies you so. saw the little dresses that I made for Africa yeah um, she hasn't has she no she mm -hmm. hasn't but mm -hmm. this is just a few of them if you want to I love that you are still doing that and that gives you purpose that is and is wonderful helps you stay your hands stay busy and your mind stays busy and that That's helps precious. give you longevity there. Aunt Faye, I think that's all the questions we have for you. I thank you so much for, for indulging us with some history about the church and about my family personally. And I know Robin's been looking forward to this yes, interview so. today. So um, I just want to say thank you again for coming and joining us. You're welcome. I've enjoyed thank it. You. It's wonderful. <laughs>